If it is well with your soul, it is well with everything, isn't it? Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you and praise you for the work Jesus Christ did in order to make it well with our souls. So this morning we are here to praise you and to thank you to seek your instruction and to encourage one another to serve you with full hearts. And so, our Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, I pray, O oh God, that you would feed our souls with the nourishment that comes from your word to us. Your unchanging word is the testimony of that young man this morning. Faithful, may we be found faithful to your word in how we live and what we believe and what we proclaim. Oh God, where our passions are found, may it be in you. So I pray, Father, that your instruction would encourage us this morning as we recognize the great gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What marvelous testimonies we have had this morning with young and old alike. So perhaps you're here and you have put off baptism all these years. Our sister challenged us this morning that no matter what age you are, if you have not followed the Lord in baptism as he has commanded you, then do it. Do it. So um, last week we encountered a verse in the scriptures where Jesus said, I have more to say to you, more than you can bear now. That was in John 16, verse 12. And so we took a little bite of the scripture last week in that text, and we're going to take a little more day because when, as he was talking to his disciples saying that, I have more to tell you, but you can't possibly take it in. So to us, we need to pace ourselves in what we can, what we can digest. But in their case, they had no idea of just what Jesus was saying to them. They had no idea of the more than, than they could bear now what that was going to be. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was going to change them in terms of the relationship with God was going to be massive. And they had no idea, they had no category, no concept of what was going to come upon them. We learned last week that Jesus had said to them, the Holy Spirit is going to, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, he's going to be in you. Not just with you, but he'll be in you. They had no real understanding of what that was going to be like or how that was going to change their lives, what they were going to experience. They spent so much of their time in the teaching of Jesus basically saying, 
Say what? Looking at each other incredulously, what, what is he talking about? Making gestures behind him, what is he saying? Because they you know, didn't want to be embarrassed, like they didn't know. But they, so much of what Jesus said to them, they, just, they had no idea what he was talking about. And it's closing in on go time. Jesus is about to leave, ascend to the Father. And they're going to be commissioned to go into all the world and teach the gospel to every living creature. And so Jesus, at this point, is kind of force-feeding them uh, hardcore new theology, at least new to them, certainly not new to Jesus, because what Jesus was teaching them was already planned, pre-planned, before creation itself. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3 and says, this hidden mystery has now been revealed to us. In fact, it's worth our time to sort of take a side venture and look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians in respect to what Jesus is about to tell the disciples. So in Ephesians chapter 3, and um, starting at verse 7, Paul writes and says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am least, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. This is what he's about to tell the disciples. His intent was that now, through the, the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here it is. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, Paul has written that this great mystery, the mystery is that through the gospel, Gentiles and Israel will be brought together into this one body called the church. And that the church itself would demonstrate, display to the whole world the manifold or many varied, uh, variegated uh, aspects of the wisdom of God. And, and, and the church would be energized and able to do such a thing by being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that now we would be able to approach God with freedom and confidence. In fact, in another translation, it says, in boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, um, sure, we already know that. Yes, we do, but the disciples didn't. The disciples were living in an entirely different relationship with God. The disciples, at the time of the disciples, and of course before the disciples, they, they were living at a time when approaching God was entirely different. It's something that we've taken for granted. 
we take for granted because we've grown up in an, in an era, the, the church era, the church age, the, 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 end, the last days age, when God has poured out his spirit on people. They, we have the spirit of God living in us. But that wasn't the case. And the disciples, as they're listening to, to Jesus, they knew nothing of this kind of thing. And so as a result, we've kind of taken for granted approaching God because we get up every morning and we realize we can just start speaking to God if we want to. We can talk to him. We can share our concerns with him. We can offer to him our, our prayer requests for the day. We just, we just start talking to God. We just, we just relate to him and, and, and walk with him all day long. And, and, and God is near because of the work of the Holy Spirit. This was not the case. So today I... I want to sort of take us back to what it was like and then help us to, to rethink and, 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 and re-experience in our own lives the incredible gift that we have been given because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So carelessly approaching God was fatal in the days before Christ died and rose again and ascended into the presence of the Father. It was fatal to approach God. In fact, there were basically in their minds the concept of danger, do not approach God. It required a representative or a mediator. They had to go to a priest. To, To go to God, to approach God, they had to bring a sacrifice. They had to bring a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice, a bloody animal sacrifice, or an unbloody sacrifice a grain offering or something of that nature. And people have sort of thought, well, what a, what a strange thing, what an odd thing that people have to bring some sort of bloody sacrifice to God. What in the world are we talking about? The reason that people had to bring a bloody sacrifice to God was to be reminded every day of their lives that because of their sin against God, they should be dead. The wages of sin is death. We we maybe have lost an awareness or a sense of the the awfulness of sin. But every one of our sins is worthy of death because of a holy God. And so each time they'd bring a bloody sacrifice, it would remind them that, that this was a substitute, a temporary substitute that died in their place because they should have died. There were morning offerings and morning sacrifices and evening sacrifices. There were animals constantly being sacrificed in the old system, reminding people of their sinfulness. In order to approach God to be forgiven, you had to bring a sacrifice. In order to approach God to ask him for favor, you had to bring a sacrifice. In order to approach God to thank him, you had to bring a sacrifice. In fact, the communion service that we will celebrate tonight is the New Testament equivalent of a thank offering. It's the thanks, it's the thanks offering, the, peace, the thanks offering that, that brings us peace, the peace offering that Jesus died that we might celebrate. And, and so this was the system under which they were they grew up in. 
That's what they knew. And what Jesus was about to do for them and has done for us was virtually unimaginable and indescribable to people who had no concept of what Jesus was talking about. It would become the common everyday experience of the disciple, just like it is of us. And that is, they could approach God boldly, with confidence, barge into his presence. It's unheard of, unthought of. Let me take you back even further so you, we get some sort of understanding of what we're talking about here. Why did God even make people? I mean, he was perfectly fine in the triune Godhead. So why did he even make people? Do you know why he made people? He made people to be with him, that he might dwell with them, that we might obviously glorify him, but that we might dwell with him, that he might dwell with us. That's why in the Garden of Eden, he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve until sin separated man and God because a holy God could no longer walk with a sinful man. Holy cannot be tainted by unholiness. And as we move our way through this, the scriptures, the theme of the scriptures, I think the theme of the scriptures actually, it's debated, but I think the theme of the scriptures is God dwelling with man. And when we get to John, John 1, John talks to us about the coming of the Lord. He says that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He camped among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There again, God wanting to be with him. Why did he call disciples? He wanted to be with them. He wanted them to be with him. And then we get to the very end of the book and we find out in Revelation 21, 3. Surprise, surprise. The great celebration is this, and now the dwelling of God is with man. The culmination, the great, the, 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 the bringing together of all of the purposes of God is that God made people to dwell with them, and, and so he will for all eternity. The problem is a perfect God cannot risk his perfection by being connected to what is imperfect, us. So people could only approach God through sacrifice. The problem is in the Old Testament, the priests themselves who offered the sacrifices were sinners as well. And so they were offering sacrifices not just for the sinner who brought the sacrifice, but for themselves as well. But Jesus has brought something entirely different. Jesus has brought the plan, the hidden mystery before creation. That all of those sacrifices were, were substitutes until the sacrifice came. Paul writes about it in Romans 3 that God overlooked our sins not because the blood of bulls and goats could never bring forgiveness to us. God overlooked our sins until the sacrifice came. And so that's why the writer to the Hebrews can say in Hebrews 10, 14, 
in, in, in reference to Jesus, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified or those who are, are sanctified. So what Jesus is about to do and explain to his disciples, which they had no concept of, is that Jesus is about to make people able to be dwelt with. That's what he's going to do, to make it possible for man and God to be brought back together for all eternity. And so he's explaining this to them. And um, because Jesus Christ was going to offer himself as the sacrifice, the sinless son of God, his sacrifice was not for himself, but for us. He wasn't offering a sacrifice for his own sins because he was sinless. So his sacrifice can be applied to us fully so that the Father now can see us as covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are righteous in Christ. We are seen as perfect in Christ. Christ see, the Father sees us, therefore, as holy, acceptable, We can come into his presence. We can boldly barge into his presence because of what Christ has done. This is what he's telling the disciples is going to happen. So what Jesus is going to introduce to them is the way this abundant living, which is not actually not yet understandable to them and quite mysterious, is going to happen. So enough babbling on my part. It's time to listen to the text. John 16, 16. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. His disciples said, say what? Because that's what they're always doing. You see, this is what they said. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does this mean? What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn. While the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said... Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. 
Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you, have tr- you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of God. So Jesus says to them, in a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me. It's what happens between the little whiles that means everything to us. Everything to them and everything to us. Now, some interpreters have taken this with the idea that in a little while, Jesus was going to go and he was going to ascend to the Father and be gone. And then in a little while, Jesus would return again as his second coming. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a different little while. He's talking about a real little while. And what happens between the little whiles makes all the difference in the world. It will change their lives. It has changed your life. It has changed my life. It will change everyone's life who turns to Jesus Christ for faith. What happened between the little while? He says to them, what's going to happen in between the little while is you're going to weep and you're going to mourn desperately. Why? Because he was about to be crucified. He was about to be mutilated by the Romans flogging him at a trial. He's going to be paraded to Calvary and nailed to a cross. He's going to die on that cross. And people are going to actually rejoice. The disciples who loved him, I mean, think about this. We have to crawl into the emotion of this for a few moments. The greatest person they ever knew. The most important person they had ever come to know. The, the one who loved them and they knew that he loved them dearly and they loved him. He meant so much, he had offered to them a grand vision of the greatness of God and a a great purpose of of taking the mission of God to the world. They had this, they knew all of this. They had seen what Jesus had done. He had become incredibly dear to their lives and they had to go through, they were going to have to go through seeing what would happen to him. And they were going to have to watch people jeer him and mock him while he was being tortured on a cross. The the unthinkable of who humanity can become, what humanity can become, what we are, who we are, how wicked we are. And these would be the same people that later on they would have to want to evangelize. I mean, if you've ever thought about some people who you know, who you think, wow, they're so obnoxious, they're so nasty, they're so wicked, and yet I know Jesus is speaking into my ear the Great Commission, go and take the gospel to every living creature. You say, I don't want to take the gospel to them, Lord, I don't want to, they've mocked you, they don't don't love you, they don't care for you, they've said horrible things about you. Well, that's what people that... The disciples are going to have to minister to. But Jesus said to them, you weep, you mourn, the world will rejoice. 
And then, in a little while, you will rejoice and no one will be able to take that joy away from you. He gives a little illustration in there that actually is taken from Isaiah. As John always points out when Jesus dug back into the Old Testament to kind of bring to light what was really happening here. And what was really happening here is the promise, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah that said there was, there's coming an eschatological time when people will weep and mourn, but it will be the time when God is going to make all things new. And the illustration in Isaiah is about a, a childbirth. Just like a woman giving birth to a child. Now, I don't pretend to understand or know what it felt like to give birth to a child. I know there's many of you here who do know that. So forgive me for anything that offends you. But if I understand what Jesus is saying here, it is when a woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a child and goes through labor and all of that that's very painful and bad. I mean, I, I haven't done it, but I've watched three times. And it's like, never again. I am never doing this again. These are the words that are heard in maternity wards all over the world. And yet, women have multiple children. How, how can you explain this? Well, Jesus said, because you forget. You forget how painful it was. And I think God puts that in a woman's life. It puts, he puts that forgetfulness in you, or otherwise we would have no people. If guys were giving birth, we would definitely have no people. <laughs> it's one generation, that would be it. We're not having babies. So, Jesus wants them to know that they're going to go through a hor horrific moment, but the, on the other side of this, they will rejoice. And no one ever, ever, ever will be able to take their joy away from them. So with that, he kind of finalizes his talks with them, prays in John 16, 17, and then he's arrested. So let me just give you quickly four things, four things that we get on the other side of the little while that the disciples experienced and that we get to experience because Jesus tells them what they're going to get. He says, first of all, and, and I've, already, I've already kind of given you the hint of that, you will get untouchable joy, untouchable joy. Now, most of us have lived our lives out and we think, you know, joy comes and goes, doesn't it? You're happy today, this, go, this works out well, well, I'm feeling really joyful or wonderful event or a celebration, well, that was nice, that was joy, we're at weddings, many of us were at a wedding yesterday, that was, that was real joy, that was great. And then joy comes and goes. Because we hitch the wagon of our life to the wrong things in terms of joy. Jesus says, I'm going to give you untouchable joy. Joy that can never be touched, can never be taken away from you. Anybody interested in having that joy? You, you have it. You ha if you know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you have this promise. of From the resurrection on, no one can take the joy of being right with God away from you. 
We sung about it this morning. It is well with my soul. That hymn was written in a very, very desperate time. It is well with my soul because joy, the joy that Jesus gives to us can't be taken away from us. See, see so many people, they, their joy depends entirely on their health or on their wealth or on their position or on other people or people, how people are treating them or whatever. That's how most people get their joy. In fact, entertainment is a replacement joy for the joy that Jesus is talking about here. People are addicted to entertainment. They, move, they go from entertainment to entertainment to entertainment to prop up joy in their lives. Jesus says, I'm going to give you something that is untouchable joy. It's not based on circumstances. It is the joy of Jesus. The promise is that because of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will receive the deposit in your life brought to you by the Holy Spirit of the same joy that God himself has. It's literally God's joy. Jesus' joy. Je Jesus has been talking about this joy all along in this discourse in chapter 15 and now in 16 and he's going to talk about it in 17. He talks about the joy that he wants us to have and it is him. He, he's offering to them the, the indwelling work of, of the Spirit of God so that we will have the joy of Jesus. He says, I want your joy to be complete because people's joy is not complete because their joy is in things, in circumstances. He says, I want to complete your joy. The completing of your joy means that no one can ever take it away from you no matter what's happening in your life. And that's the joy that I'm offering to you. Untouchable joy. That's why the psalmist could write, the joy of the Lord is my strength. His joy, the Lord's joy is my strength. It's not the absence of sorrow, nor is it the protection from all tribulation and trials. That's not it at all. It's the presence of the consoling joy of God that no matter what, no matter what, is going to work out well for you and for me if we are in Christ. For we know that what? All things, what? What do we know? Work together for what? Good to those who love the Lord. He says, not only are you going to have untouchable joy, but notice in verse 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. They've been asking him questions like crazy. He says, now you're going to have a settled understanding on the other side of the cross, which they have, by the way, they have no category for this. Please keep this in mind. They have no category for it. They knew about crucifixion. They knew how horrible it was. They had no category for someone raising themselves from the dead and ascending into heaven. They had no category for that. So Jesus said, you're going to have a settled understanding. The say what? And the blank stares and the hand gestures behind my back, which I always saw, that you didn't think I saw, and you don't know, what's he talking about? Nick, what's he talking about? I don't know. All of that. That's, that's going to be replaced by steadfast faith in full understandings of the mysteries of redemptive history. You're going to get it. You're going to understand it. 
The Holy Spirit is going to teach you what to write to bring to your remembrance of all the things I taught you. And the apostles are going to write in theological interpretations of all of the deposit that the Father wants you to have. And you're going to get it. Just like we explained today, we explained an understanding of why Jesus died for us and what we get because of Jesus' death for us. We get forgiveness of our sins, this, uh, this unimaginable opportunity now that is going to be ours for forever, every minute of the day, approaching God the Father. We understand now, we get it. We understand why we can, don't we? We understand. We have it written for us. We get to fully understand our salvation. The Holy Spirit has informed the disciples and the apostles. And now we have history and we have doctrine and we have prophecy. Although teachers are necessary because God has given them to us, He appoints them to help us to take deeper dives into God's Word and connect things together and to spend more time in study and all of that. We have all of that. But each one of us who have the Holy Spirit of God have a settled understanding of who God is, what Christ has done for us, what our salvation means to us, and how to please the Lord. We have all of that. It's settled. We have a settled understanding of all of that. In fact, Paul shared with the Corinthians this special situation that we find ourselves in because of the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, listen, hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. It was hidden, but God has made it for us, for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's not heaven it's referring to. It's referring to the revelation of Jesus Christ. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. This Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our only way to have access to God the Father. And that we can boldly and confidently barge into the presence of the Father. This is what we know and this is what we understand because of the Spirit who helps us. We could not have thought of this. We could not have heard this. We could not have conceived of this, Paul says. But now you understand because God has revealed this to you by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual man the man or woman who has received the Spirit of God makes judgments about all things because he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Not only do we have untouchable joy, but we have settled understanding. Not only do we have that, but in 23 and 24, we have, a, we have been given, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, effective prayer. 
Prayer that has effectiveness. He says to them, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. Their prayer lives are about to change, become like our prayer lives, and produce radically fruitful results, I trust, because that's what we've been given because of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We get to pray differently because Jesus Christ himself is the high priest who's in heaven, and we have the comforter, the advocate who lives in us and enables us to pray. Reconfigures, according to Paul in Romans 8, reconfigures how we pray or what we say. If we groan, he configures them into content that is pleasing to God and is, reaches God's ear. We know this. Jesus talks about it being in his name. The content will be, will be asking for things God wants for you. And therefore, you can ask and receive. You can be confident that you can receive because the Spirit of God enables you to ask in the way that Christ wants us to ask. Jesus is basically saying to the Father, just tell them that the Father's, tell them that Jesus, tell them that Jesus sent you. And your joy might be complete. How is our joy complete? Because we are living in dependency on the Father. We're in a dependency on God. It's a profound intimacy to be in prayer with God. To know that you, just puny little nothing me, has an audience with the God of glory because of what Jesus has done for me. That's what the abiding closeness is all about in believers' lives. We get to experience the benefit of what it is to be God's friend, to be taken into, to have settled understanding, to be taken into his confidence, and to know what pleases him, and to know how to pray, to know how to ask him in Jesus' name, granting us with peace that God himself enjoys and his complete joy. And we say to ourselves, well, won't people abuse that? Jesus says, go ahead, ask. Ask and you'll receive. Oh, sure, people abuse that all the time. In fact, James made it abundantly clear that there's a reason why prayers don't get answered. First of all, he says, you, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, do you ask according to the will of the Father? No, you ask in a selfish way that you might have your own desires. So people might try to abuse this and say, well, God said in his word that if I ask, I will receive. James says, well, not so quickly. If you ask for your own selfish desires, God's going to say no. But if you're asking in Jesus' name, living, asking according to his words, as he said, asking for the will of the Father, having a relationship that's intimate with God, then of course you're going to ask according to God's will. And those prayers will be answered. The fourth thing finally is this, that you'll have direct accessibility to God. Basically, Jesus was saying to them, when this weekend is complete, although, and we're talking about Easter weekend, when this weekend is complete and when I uh, ascend to the Father and I give you the Holy Spirit. When that, when that happens, 
you will be able to boldly approach the presence of God. Yourself. That's why Jesus said to them, you know, in that day, verse 26, you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. When I first read that, I was like, Jesus, that's, why did you say that? I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Does that mean, why, why are you not willing to do that? It's not that Jesus isn't willing to do that. It's that Jesus is saying to his disciples, you don't need that. You now get to go directly to the Father. You don't have to go through anyone. You go directly to the Father because the Father loves you himself. The Father knows you. The Father knows what you need. The Father loves you because you believe in me. The Father himself loves you. And so you get direct access to him. He's listening to you himself. He's watching your life. The Father and Son indwell the believer by the Holy Spirit. The, the Father doesn't require Jesus to go before him and plead our cause. Although Jesus acts as mediator, Jesus is explaining that in the triune God, to know Jesus is to know the Father. To ask Jesus is to ask the Father. It's the same thing. And so we have direct accessibility. And all of that is because of verse 28. I came from the Father, I entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. That in itself is that one verse is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the Christology of the New Testament. Jesus came to this earth from the Father, carried forth the mission of going to the cross, paying for our sins, dying on the cross, being buried, victor victorious over death, rising from the grave, and ascending back to the Father. That's the mission of Jesus in one little verse. And Jesus is doesn't tell him all the details. We said this weekend and a few days beyond is what I'm doing. It's a mission. I left the Father. I came to be here. I'm going back to the Father. I've done the mission. And so because of that, this relationship you now have dwelling with God is possible. You now, because of the work that I've done, have made it possible for mankind to now be intimately related to God for all time. God dwelling, wanting to dwell with man, man not being eligible to be dwelt with, is now being made eligible to be dwelt with, and I'm going back to the Father, having done the mission, so now those who belong to Jesus Christ can dwell with God, and God can dwell with them. Mission completed, mission accomplished. And so the disciples said, we get it. We understand. Now you aren't speaking figuratively. You've been speaking. Listen, he has, they haven't understood a thing. Jesus says to them, <laughs> you have no idea what the between the little whiles is all about yet, guys. Come on. And I've told you, 
that the Holy Spirit is coming. You don't have that yet, but here they are typically, just like us, we can storm hell with a squirt pistol now. We're ready to do this. And he says, oh, you believe at last, do you? You believe at last. The flaw in your self-confidence is going to show up in, oh, let me think, a couple of hours. When you all scatter and leave me twisting by myself, which I won't be because I have the Father, but you'll take off. You don't have the courage yet because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You don't know what I'm talking about yet because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You don't know what I'm talking about yet because you haven't even experienced this. You haven't even gone through this. You are typically depending on your flesh and your own strength barging through. We're now evangelistic crackerjacks, powerfully ready to go. You know, for me, um, this presumptuously launching forth in their own flesh and strength is so much how we are. And the founders of our movement were deeply flawed. I find that encouraging. Because if Christ can use deeply flawed people like them, he can use one of the most deeply flawed people, me. Because it's not about me. It's not what I bring or what I have or don't have. It's what God brings to us. It's what Jesus is bringing to them. He is bringing them the Holy Spirit to be in them and to enable them. And he says, and furthermore, he says, listen, I won't be alone. The Father's going to be with me. And you won't be alone either, but you don't get it yet. But when you do, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. You will have actually the peace that God enjoys in you because of the Holy Spirit. And you will have peace because you know the outcome is sure. You know that the one who has saved you, has sacrificed for you, has risen from the grave. You know that I've defeated death. You know, you will know that I've overcome the world. So you will have courage and peace because you know the outcome. You have courage to face very hard times. The battle being waged against you every day of your lives by the evil one will not succeed and you'll know that. And you'll have courage. Because the evil one who wages battle against you every day wants you dead. Wants every single one of us dead. He wants us to stop being able to minister. He wants us to stop being able to be evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit of God owns us. God owns us. God determines our time. God determines our ways. God determines what he will do with us. And no matter what, no matter what happens to us, we get to live forever. No matter what. So our champion promises his permanent presence through the Holy Spirit now and with God in glory forever. We are never, ever again separated from God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. In between the little whiles, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for your amazing love for us. 
Your amazing grace, oh God. We praise you and we love you. And we thank you that you have granted to us the Holy Spirit who lives in us and enables us to have untouchable joy, direct accessibility, effective prayer, and settled understanding. Oh God, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can I illustrate in closing this confidence that we can have in the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I saw the late Tim Keller one time give a illustration that I think maybe would help us. He spoke of the crossing of the Red Sea and people of God. And he said there'd be a one group of people as they're crossing the Red Sea, as the water piles up on each side, they'd be doing like a, you know, like a Conor McGregor. Hey, all right, I got this, we got this, look at this, hey, look at, we got it. And then there'd be another group of people who'd be going through saying, we're all going to die. We're going to die. This is going to fall down on us. We're going to die. And they all went through. Not because of the confidence in their own selves, the faith that they had, but because of the one who was taking them to the other side. And so it is with our lives. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He's going to be in you. He's going to take you right through. Your confidence is not going to be in yourself. It can't be in yourself. You weren't successful in yourself. Your confidence and your boldness will be in the one who will take care of you and take you through. So I call on you all. I call on all of us. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and, and enjoy the benefits of dwelling with God because of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, dismiss us this day, this morning, with a confidence in the work of the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ who paid it all for us. Bring us back tonight as we offer to you our thanks offering in communion, renewing our vows for salvation, gathering together to thank you for your gifts to us, your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.